everyone. Welcome back. It is your girl, Brie Undeniably, and you're tuned into my new speaker series, Deep Conversations with Dope Individuals, where we're discussing development, decision-making, and dedicating yourself to purpose. So today on a very special episode, we have a super dope individual and none other than my brother himself, John Robert Tat Tartaglione. So um, before I get into the bio, because that'll be fun and interesting, um, I was thinking about this prior to um, everyone here, obviously, all of my listeners, they know me as Brie. Um, and that's how I really go professionally is as Brie. Um, and but my brother and really just close family and friends call me Bria. And you'll probably notice that if he happens to refer to me as that. And I just think it's funny because he goes by Tat literally everywhere. I've never called him Tat before. That even felt weird introducing him. So I'm going to call him John Robert, but he does go by Tat. But uh, again, that's kind of just a close family. I guess we've called each other our our name since we were younger. Anyway, this bio is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I asked him to send me a bio and I know he's just <laughs> sitting here. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see him just sitting here acting casual. Um, here we go. <laughs> Once, maybe twice in a lifetime, if we're lucky, we find ourselves graced by a person whose magnificence is so overwhelming. It borders on a spiritual experience, a star, <laughs> a star who shines so bright that the sun itself must stop and marvel at their incandescence. John Robert Tartaglione, otherwise known as Tat, is that star. <laughs> a scholar, an athlete, a gentleman, and a close personal friend of Barack Obama, it would not be a stretch to say that Tat is the standard by which all other men are measured. In my, in my own words, I can't stress this enough. There... <laughs> These are my own words. His generosity makes Mother Teresa look like Bernie Madoff. His intelligence makes Stephen Hawking look like Sarah Palin. And his humor makes Dave Chappelle look like me. He's a PhD candidate at Cambridge, and if you promise not to fact check him on Google, he's also the world record holder in the men's four by 100 meter relay. It is my absolute honor and an immense personal privilege to welcome the man who single-handedly inspired Louis Armstrong's song, What a Wonderful World, despite it being recorded 22 years before he was born. A human being so impressive, his parents must be, must have been incredibly disappointed by any sibling to come after him. The, the greatest mind of his generation and my own personal hero, John Robert Tat Tartaglione, <laughs> welcome. Thank you, Bria. That was, you didn't need to do that. Um, a, a more uh, kind of modest introduction would have been fine, but <laughs> since it, it uh, compelled you, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate it. That was for sure a historical one for me. Mm -hmm. So um, before we start, since, well, we let that all simmer in your minds of what a truly dope individual John Robert Tat Tartaglione is. I'm going to start with a couple quick shout outs because I always get to the end and then forget or get too excited. So we're going to do shout outs now. So again, while that simmers, shout out to Gotham Podcast Studio. That's where I am recording right now. They do my audio and visuals. So really appreciate them. Um, shout out to MC Kicks. They are always supporting, though I'm not wearing any MC Kicks gear right now. They are always hooking me up with their dope merch. Um, you can check out MC Kicks at, at E-M-C-E-E-K-I-C-K-S.com. Uh, no, yes, dot com as well. But <laughs> you can also check out their handle without the dot com. Um, and if you have not checked out, I have a lot of new merch on my website. So um, you know my website. It's always linked. You can go to my website, um, brandoniably.com. And John Robert, I'll let you do your shout outs uh, I mean, you can do them now if you want, but you can do them at the end as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll wait till the end. Okay. So 
Now that I got those out of the way, um, let's get into it. So as I like to start off all my conversations, I really took this from the counseling community. We like to meet our clients where they're at. I think it's a great way to sort of um, kick off the introduction and um, just have you tell us a little bit about where you're at and introduce yourself to everyone. Sure. Well, you know, it's going to be hard to beat the introduction that you personally (laughs) prepared for me. Um, but I'm happy to do my best. So, um, yeah, my name is, my legal name is John Robert Tataglione. Uh, everyone calls me Tat. Um, I'm a psychologist and behavioral scientist by training. Uh, I have a few master's degrees from some lovely universities. Uh, I'm joining you from London right now. Uh, jolly old London. Uh, it is pitch black out already, despite it being like five o'clock here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am pursuing my PhD at the University of Cambridge in psychology uh, and uh, more specifically political psychology, kind of studying how liberals and conservatives uh, think differently, process information differently, see the world differently, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how's that? Is that succinct enough? That's, that's great. Um, actually, as <laughs> when you said what your legal name was, I forgot the most important shout out. And though I don't usually shout them out, shout out to mom and dad. Oh uh, yeah. Mom and dad. <laughs> they're, uh, very important people, obviously in both of our lives, uh, Sandra and Michael Tartaglione. Thank you so much for, for us. Um, and (laughs) yeah, well done. Um, okay. So I thought that was really important to shout them out. Yes. Okay. So you kind of brought us through, um, what you are doing. Uh, let's, I want to talk a little bit about your business as well. Can you introduce that too? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, uh, I run a small consulting practice and when I say small, I mean, it's just me, uh, (laughs) called influence 51, Uh, Essentially, I teach clients how to leverage insights from psychology and behavioral science to build more effective strategies. Now, what those strategies are totally depends on the client. So if I'm working with a political campaign, I might teach them about things like message framing or voter turnout strategies. If it's more of a corporate client, I might teach them about marketing strategies or branding strategies or, you know, things like motivating employees. Uh, I've even done really kind of unique things with restaurants where I've taught them how to restructure their menu using tenants of choice architecture to influence the choices people make without the waiter or waitress having to uh, kind of guide them. Awesome. Okay. So let's, um, I want to kind of bring it all together now. So you, you talked about the different degrees that you have and you kind of, the, I feel like those were like puzzle pieces for you. Like you got like this. <laughs> Don't be more explicit. I'm happy to be more explicit. <laughs> no, I mean, you can be, but let's just go based off, off what I'm, what I'm going to lead you into. So you kind of talked about like, you got one degree in this and then one degree in that. And now you're pursuing your um, doctorate at Cambridge. So mm-hmm. like those all fit into something for you like I feel like at some point along the way you made a plan and you're like oh okay like I have I got this degree but I actually need this to fill in this gap and now I'm going to push it further and get just talk about that a little bit more that development you thinking I have a plan is pretty presumptuous on your part because (laughs) that that hasn't been talked about yet but uh I I think you know um it probably helps if you talk about like my very loose plan it probably helps to like go back to like college. Let's do that. Bring us back. So, so, <laughs> so as you know, uh-huh. mom and dad, you know, pushed us to, you know, to, to go to college and get an education. They did. Um, and, and rightfully so, because, you know, neither of them w- were able to get a college degree. Mm-hmm. And so they, they really thought the importance of that. And I always feel the need to pause when I say that and make sure people do not conflate education with intelligence. Yes. There are plenty of people who have a lot of education and not that much intelligence and vice versa. Yeah. So be very careful when you conflate those two things because mom and dad, as you know, are two very, very intelligent people. But they never got you know that, that degree and they wanted you and I to get that degree. So I went to college as you did. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I, when I went in, I went in interested in law. I wanted to do law and society. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because, you know, I, w- I was balling in Mr. Springs law class when we did the mock trials. <laughs> Shout I really out. Yeah. But, Shout um, out to Mr. Spring. 
Yeah, but I, I realized very quickly that like I wasn't interested in the law per se. I was more interested in like why we consider these things just. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of got shoved very quickly into the philosophy department, um, which was cool. But I graduated with a degree in philosophy and realized that like I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Right. Because like getting the degree was like an end in and of itself for me. It wasn't a means to an end. And so I got that degree and it was kind of like the dog that just caught the mailman. Like, what the hell do I do now? (laughs) Now I had no idea what I wanted to do. And and, um, yeah, and for me, it was one of those things where like, I I had to take a moment to think like, what interests me? Because as you would probably imagine, the job market was pretty anemic for philosophy majors. People weren't clamoring to hire a philosophy major. So I was kind of thinking like, you know, what, what interests me and what interests me about philosophy was human nature. You know, it was all these different, usually old white dudes kind of, you know, uh, figuring out like, you know, what makes people tick. And I decided that, you know, because I was interested in human nature, I want to take more of like an empirical data driven perspective. Mm-hmm. Psychology kind of quenched that thirst for me. And so I started reading books my uh, after I read a bunch of social psychology, I applied for my first program at University College London, um, got that, you know, got a nice degree at University College London, uh, decided that I was interested in kind of broadening the psychology. So I went to University of Chicago in a program called the Social Sciences, the MAPS program, okay. uh, where I was able to study like a bunch of different hybrid psychological domains at once. So political psychology, evolutionary psychology, moral psychology, even things like behavioral economics. Mm-hmm. I eventually ended up at Cambridge because I just found political psychology the most stimulating of all of those. And so I decided that's what I want to get my PhD in. Gotcha. Um, okay. So what I think first, I want to go back a little bit to this, yeah. like uh, the post-college moments, not necessarily for you, but for everyone. I just think that's like a universal thing. Like when we're younger, we're given this roadmap sort of, of like, okay, you know, you go through grade school, blah, blah, blah. And then you graduate high school and then you go to college. And then after that, you get a job and you get married and have a family or do whatever. Like no one actually said that once you graduate from college, that like get a job and sort of just like the rest of your life is just there in front of you. Like there's actually no roadmap for that. And no one really talks about that, (laughs) that really like gray area of like, what the hell is next? Like I graduated, but that doesn't mean that you are all of a sudden a philosopher. And, you know, like you didn't become a philosopher because you graduated with a philosophy degree. Was that, that job just wasn't right there for you. So I think it's really interesting that, um, you know, for you, it, it was really just not necessarily trial, trial and error, but just like leaning into something that you found particularly interesting and sort of building off from there. So I just want, just want to uh, point out that, gray area (laughs) well no and i think that's important to point out too right because like you know in that retelling it made it seem like like oh i graduated i didn't get you know didn't get anything with my philosophy degree so i immediately pivoted but like that pivot that immediate pivot took me like two and a half three years yes like i graduated there was a period of a few months where like I didn't do anything. I was just unemployed. I had not, I had a little bit of savings I was like living off of. Mm-hmm. But eventually I got to the point where I was like, I need to do something. Am I allowed to swear on this program? Yes, you, you can swear. Thank God. I was like, shit, you know, because <laughs> yeah. like, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough where I found a program called City Year, mm-hmm. which, you know, if, if your listeners aren't familiar, it's similar to like Teach for America, but like you're like supplementary support in the classroom. But I did that for a year um, when I was kind of trying to figure out like what the heck I'm going to do with my life. And city year was great because it allowed me to do something that was like really rewarding, really challenging, you know, in that kind of one year period where I was like trying to figure my life out. But then even after city year, in order to like kind of build my way up so I could get into some of the master's programs I wanted to get into, I had to do a lot of unpaid stuff. And so I, (laughs) To pay the bills, I did. Um, I wor- worked as the first postmate. I was in the first batch of postmates in Washington D.C. Really, when postmates impressive. first came to D.C. I was, I was, I was in that cohort. <laughs> so I was riding my bike around D.C. making deliveries. I worked the front desk 
at a building called the Ontario, um, some like just apartment complex. Um, I didn't know that actually. Yep. I, I knew the front desk there, uh, usually the night shift um, nice. for, for, for a little while, just making extra money. And actually one of my main sources of income was writing comedy for a puppet in the Netherlands. <laughs> I was a comedy writer for like a three foot, like orange puppet in the Netherlands. So the point, the point being, right. Is like, I had to like figure out all these ways to like, you know, not, not the most glamorous things in the world to like make money as I tried to figure out like, you know, what, what is my actual passion? You know? Yeah. I'm stuck. <laughs> I forgot about that. I forgot about the puppet in the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah. That was paying my bills for a while. That puppet, God bless that puppet. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, yeah. So you, you had to basically pivot a lot to make ends meet and to figure it out. You, you were, you were really, you know, you were in that, um, sort of the, the place where the caterpillar is about to become the butterfly, but you're still stuck in the cocoon and you're like, shit, get me like, how do I get out of this thing? That's kind of what that, that space in your life reminds me of. Yeah, no, I, I, th- I think that's right. And now you're the butterfly. Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, let's, okay, so let's talk then, um, you know, you, you did all these sort of like odd, odd jobs or, mm-hmm. you know, just jobs to make ends meet. Yeah. And then at some point, you well, let's, let's just piggyback right off of what you finished saying. You said, it took me a while to find my passion. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that I like to talk a lot about purpose, which we'll talk about more at the end of the podcast. But um, let's let's talk about that finding your passion. Like, what did that look like? How did that f- from you know puppet comedy writing, which I know comedy is <laughs> is it in there is as so well. Much. Yeah, let's talk about it though. Let's talk about that part. Yeah. So, um, like I said, you know, I, I I I kind of so like let me back up just a little bit back to like when I graduated college. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sitting, you know, in my my first apartment out of college was a windowless basement in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not the most amazing place, but it was a bed. It was somewhere to stay. Mm-hmm. But anyway, like, like I said, for the first few months after college, I, I wasn't doing anything. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And like I was kind of like content living off the money that I had like saved. And like I was I was waking up at like, you know, one in the afternoon, like rolling out of bed, you know, going to the gym, start my day around three o'clock. And, you know, after a while, I kind of just like, after a few months of that, I kind of looked in the mirror. I was like, what are you doing with your life? Like, you really need to do something. Mm. Um, And I start, I started getting a little nervous. um, Actually, I I actually never told anyone this. I'm going to, well, I never told anyone outside of my wife this okay um, let's let's hear it i appreciate you but yeah i'll say i'll say, I'll say on, on your podcast obviously um but i actually um in the midst of like this kind of like you know caterpillar stage mm-hmm. uh, i had my first and only uh thus far panic attack mm, where oh. i actually yeah i went i went to the gym <laughs> went to the gym one day and uh i was i was at this point where like i just like couldn't really figure out what I wanted to do. And like, I, I kind of like started feeling like, you know, all these people who had such high expectations for me, like, am I going to amount to nothing? Like, am I not going to turn out to, am I going to be, you know, just average or mediocre? And that, that really bothered me. I remember like I was setting up for a deadlift. Oh, that's like, not the right place to have a panic attack. Like, yeah. I went and like stood up to like lift the bar and I like looked down and I started like, my breathing got really shallow and I was like, all these thoughts were running through my head. And like, I kind of like felt a little dizzy and like, I just, I literally, I felt bad, I felt guilty, but like I left all the weights right there and I walked out of the gym and like went back home and like, I was fucking ner- I cried a little bit. I was nervous. I was like, so like, it was like so much, it was so much of me that was worried that I wasn't like any potential I had was not going to be fulfilled, you know? And I think a lot of people feel like that. And I certainly did. And so, you know, that was a moment for me where I was like, I really, I really need to figure out like what, what I want to do. And like, 
go after it. And so for me, it was psychology because psychology, especially social psychology, which was like my first love, mm-hmm. I picked up I picked up the book The Social Animal by Elliot Aronson. Mm-hmm. There's another book called The Social Animal by David Brooks. I'm sure it's a great book, but Elliot Aronson's is the best social psychology book you could ever pick up. And I read that and I fell in love. And like that for me was like when it clicked that like, I'm fascinated by human nature. I'm fascinated by like what makes people tick, what moves people, what are the factors that change our attitudes or shift people's decisions, change their behavior. And so I just kind of started reading a bunch and, you know, these books fascinated me. They, they, they kept me engaged and, uh, and yeah, and, and that was kind of how I discovered that, like, that's really my passion is like, I want to be able to teach people about people um, because, you know, everyone has everyone has their own theories. Everyone is what psychologists would call a folk psychologist because mm-hmm. we interact with people on a daily basis. We all have our theories about what motivates people, what makes people tick. But when you actually start diving into the academic literature and the data, you start to see, you know, there's been a lot of these fascinating studies that people just don't know about that gives you pretty deep insights into like the minds of others. And I always found that really interesting. You just gave a ton of information. First, I have to, (laughs) I have to go, I have to go back and, you know, obviously that's what I'll do whenever you tell the stories, I'm going to go back to the beginning and, you know, let's break it down a little bit more, but I do thank you for sharing that here to my yeah. my worldwide audience because <laughs> uh, because that 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 panic attack piece like that is actually something so 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 important for other people to hear because you're right you nailed it like that it's something that is probably happening in some capacity to a lot more people than you know were okay to admit like you know there's there's a level of almost you know shame or whatever it might be that you're feeling in that moment because panic attacks are real and they come Mm -hmm. on out of nowhere and they are you know it's a it's a physical reaction um but the fact that that was almost like this or at least one pivotal point for you i think is super important because you really had a panic attack about like what am I doing for the rest of my life? Is all my potential lost? Like, I know I am this incredible, creative, like human being who has, you know, all this pent up potential, but where am I actually channeling it? How am I actually going to let the world um, see that in me as well? So, I mean, I think that that's so huge for you to share here because, I think many people sort of on on this journey of life, but on any type of entrepreneurial path or path to try to self-actualize, which is something I've talked about a lot, like becoming the best version of yourself, that's something that we go through. Um, So I really appreciate you speaking to that. Um, and then I think it's really cool because you've you've spoke about the social animals so many times to me, you know, and and it, I think it's funny because our paths, you being my older brother by 20 months and 20 days, as mom and dad will always say, uh, just about two years. Um, but you I I feel like I really mirrored your path in psychology. Um, I know that I had a lot of those very like we we had we have had a very similar journey and i feel like i followed in your footsteps like one with the reading i know you said like you picked up that book and then like you you really did become like a voracious reader like you were which, which by the way your 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 listeners should know yeah. that was not always the case yeah <laughs> I, I am not particularly proud of this but like all throughout college i never read a book once in its entirety yeah. like i would read as much as you needed to read to like get a decent grade but like once that was you know accomplished, the book went away. It wasn't until afterwards I kind of was trying to figure out what I was interested in and I started reading a lot. Yeah, well that that's kind of what I'm saying in, in the same sense that like I, you know, I I was on a similar like WTF path where I'm just, you know, trying to figure it out. And I I feel like I'm I'm right at 
kind of right at that stage where I'm just wiggling out of my uh, cocoon right now, like with starting this podcast. And, you know, for me, it's been a year and for you, it's been a little bit longer. But what I'm saying is um, I I mirrored your trajectory. I saw that you started reading a lot and that it was in psychology. And you told me about the social animals so many times. And then I started getting interested because you would tell me about different things that you were learning. And then I think if I'm if I'm correct, this was maybe at some point after this, uh, you started to build your business, which I want to talk about. But um, you started telling me all of these these different um, story psychology stories, essentially, and basically like what the out- outcomes were. And I was like, oh, that's really intriguing. Like, that's interesting to me, you know, and that kind of brought me again, like I said, I mirrored your path. Like I started reading a lot more. Same thing. <laughs> I, I don't I did not read either. Like I really didn't at all until I started. I was gonna be so pissed when she watches me. I was just gonna gonna be like, I told you to read. I I used to read to you all the time. (laughs) I know, and it's so true. Like I really like in high school, I skated by, and I skated by with ease. Like I really did. It was like, oh, okay, like this is simple. You you read, you know, kind of what you need to get by, but you never actually had to finish the book. There was enough information, even the internet back then, for <laughs> spark notes. I mean, there really, there really was, like, there's ample information to get away with not doing it, which I don't advocate for. But it's interesting because I didn't find reading exciting or fascinating in any capacity until much later in life. For me, it was grad school as well. So I did the same thing and I got interested in psychology sort of after you did. And that's how I really liked uh, like the therapeutic aspects of psychology and how I ended up in counseling psychology. Um, And, you know, here I am now still using those skills, but also using myself as a client avatar, someone who is trying to build, you know, a brand, what are all these other people doing who have built something? And I like to dig in to the development and the decision-making and sort of that purpose piece, which are all very grounded in, you know, my counseling psychology practice. But um, let's go into that piece of like, so you got really interested in social psychology. You really were interested in, you know, what makes people do what they do. Um, And when was the point for you or like just bring us down the next phase, I guess, where you started building something out of this? Yeah. So um, so before we get into the building, Mm -hmm. I'll tell you like where the idea kind of started. So please call me naive and maybe I'm sure I was naive, Mm -hmm. but the last job I had mm-hmm. before I went and got my first master's mm-hmm. um, was was in consulting. And up until that point in time, I had no idea that like the field of consult, I mean, I knew it existed, but I guess I just didn't know like what it entailed. I never like thought about like, oh, what's a consultant do? And like going into consulting really kind of changed my perspective because the consulting uh, firm that I went into, uh, I actually got in uh, by, by meeting the founder, Howard Ross. Cook Ross is the name of the mm-hmm. firm. Wonderful firm, by the way. Um, and I met Howard because Howard was giving a presentation um, to, to people at City Year. And he was talking about all these, these psychological concepts at that point in time that I was reading about in the books, like city year was that point in time where like I was doing my reading. I was trying to figure out like, what's my next step, you know, and Howard comes in, he starts talking about all these things that I was reading about that I was fascinated in. So anyway, I ended up striking up a a relationship with Howard. We kind of went back and forth um, for a little while. I was at the university of Maryland doing free research for them. Like I was working as a research assistant at the time and like, driving around, you know, delivery stuff and stuff like that to pay the bills. And so I would tell Howard about the research we're doing in Maryland. He would tell me, you know, what's going on at Cook Ross. Eventually I get offered an internship at Cook Ross and and that kind of became a job. But this is a long way of saying Cook Ross got me this exposure to this idea that there's an industry where companies will pay you for your knowledge. Mm -hmm. Companies will pay you 
to use your knowledge and come in and solve problems for them or, you know, build strategies for them. And to me, the notion that like I could have a business that was literally just me going in and teaching people what I know and solving problems for them was like awesome. So I love that idea. And that really, again, as naive as it might've been, that kind of opened up my mind. And so when I graduated from UCL, right, I, I, I get my master's um, or a few months before I get my master's, I start realizing that like, I'm going to be in that same position again in a few months where I'm going to need a job right. and I need to do something. Um, so I started thinking like, how can I support myself and still do things that I find intellectually stimulating, that I find engaging? And like, I knew what I found engaging was teaching people about people, teaching people about all these really interesting psychological and behavioral science concepts and how they can use them to be more effective in whatever is, is they're doing. And so I remember like, I reached out to a few of my friends who were lawyers at the time. And like, I was asking them, I was like, you know, in your you know, legal trainings, do you guys, you know, talk about this concept? Do you talk about message framing? Do you talk about loss aversion? Do you talk about, you know, psychology of effective storytelling? All this different stuff that like, for me, has obvious applications to like trial lawyers, especially. And they were all like, no, we don't talk about stuff like that. And then, you know, I reached out to someone who was in the political, you know, domain. And I kind of was asking them, like, do you guys, you know, go over, you know, kind of the recent literature on like, you know, the behavioral science of voter turnout, things like this, or, or the most effective way to kind of craft campaign speeches. And, um, you know, they were like, well, you know, we kind of have these ideas about how it's done, but we don't always like refer to academia. And so, I was kind of like, there's so much knowledge in academia that isn't making it into like the, the you know, the, the domain of, of people who are non-academics mm-hmm. and it could be really useful for these, you know, these different people. And so honestly, the way I kind of envisioned myself and the way I still kind of talk about myself is I'm a translator. Mm-hmm. I'm literally translating, you know, these findings that people who are not in academia find really daunting, really kind of complicated. I'm translating them in a way so they're they're palatable, they're digestible, and they're usable for non-academic audiences. Uh-huh. And that's kind of you know the way I, I pitch myself is there are plenty of people out there who are smarter than me, right? But what makes a great consultant in my mind is not necessarily being the most intelligent. It's being able to, to disseminate the information, to talk about right that content in the way that your client is going to understand, right? That it's going to click for them and the way they are going to be able to use it most immediately and most effectively. Mm-hmm. And so Influence 51 was kind of just my way of like, how can I work with all these different types of clients, but still do essentially the same thing, which is just like, teach them about these things that we know in academia and how they can use it in their domain to be more effective. I think it's so cool. I'm going back to the puzzle piece example, because I think it's so pertinent to what you have done and what you have built. Like, because coming up with Influence 51, it started with, a you know, you doing all the reading. And then all of a sudden, this person comes in to speak at, you know, this job that you're doing that is not really doesn't have anything to do with what you want to do. It just is, you know, a challenging job that's giving you, you know, uh, income. Not that, not that city year wasn't an amazing job for you. I know you got a lot of value from that, but it wasn't in the field that you wanted all of a sudden. Yeah. yeah, And all of a sudden you're reading all this stuff and this person comes in and starts to talk about all this stuff. And for you, like that was another, like, oh, wait, I can talk about these things. And then you got the job with them. And you also started really doing it yourself. You you basically took steps to identify a gap to fit in exactly where um, you were perfectly fit to, to be. Yeah. 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 I, th- I think that's true. And I think, you know, part of it was also like, trying to figure out like, like, how do I fit myself in, in a mm-hmm. way that like, I'm going to be happy with, you know, yeah. like, I didn't want to like fit myself in a place that like was just 
open and there. I wanted to like find a way to fit in to a place that like I also would be kind of satisfied, you know? So for you, that was using the information that you were learning, like the knowledge that you found most interesting and then identifying those gaps in different marketplaces that weren't getting that academic knowledge. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then from there, let's talk about the takeoff. You know, you, you, you have this idea influence 51 has, is put together. There's a clear need. You've clearly identified the gaps in the market. I mean, it's like all of your puzzle pieces are there except for the execution. How does, how does this finally become a thing? So (laughs) let me preface this by saying that I don't know if what I'm about to say is the best roadmap for individuals. I'm not necessarily advocating that you take this approach. We like to hear the mistakes. I'll be as candid as possible about like what I actually did. So, um, so, so I, 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 you know, I come back from London. I had this idea for influence 51. Mm -hmm. I I have to figure out, first of all, I have to figure out all these things. I never thought I'd have to figure out. I have to figure out how to fill out, you know, LLC paperwork, how Uh to get, you know, get this, you know, incorporated, you know, at a state level. I have to figure out, you know, how to, you know, design business cards and make business cards. Mm -hmm. I have to figure out how to build a website, which by the way, like if people who saw the first iteration of my website, it looked like like it looked like I just like took a word document basically and put a few <laughs> colors on it. Like there was nothing sophisticated about it whatsoever. And like now it's, it's still not the most amazing website in the world, but like I'm proud of it because, you know, I built that. Yeah. Like no one helped me. And like, here's, here's where, again, I want, I want to really be explicit. That like, I don't think, and as a matter of fact, I won't even say, I don't know. I don't think you should take this advice, but for me, this is just who I am. I'm, I'm not great at asking for help. I'm not great at being like, hey, I need your help doing this. Hey, mm-hmm. can you help me out? I always feel like I'm burdening people. I don't like burdening people. Um, there's, so a psycho- I, there's psychology behind that. Yeah. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> I'm, sure I'd be, I'm sure I'd be a great case study. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I wanted to do it all myself. Um, and I, I didn't really want to reach out to people and be like, Hey, can you refer me, you know, to this person? Can you introduce me to this person? Mm -hmm. And so influence 51 was literally me, just me individually, like writing emails. And I'm doing it like this because I type with two fingers. So it wasn't like it was a fast process. I, I wasn't like automating the process. It was just me grinding out emails every single day right? Um, Just hoping that someone would give me a chance. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, that's a process in and of itself, because you try to figure out like, which emails are getting the least negative responses, because some people are like, really mean, (laughs) like super mean. They're like, stop emailing me. I'm like, this is the first time I ever emailed you. It wasn't (laughs) like, I've been pestering you. But anyway, that to me was actually like, that was something I had to overcome. There were days when like, I would receive a really negative email back. And like, I don't always have the most self-esteem when it comes to like being rejected. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I would, I would be cranking out a hundred emails one day. I get one negative, (laughs) (laughs) one, one negative email back. And like, it would, it would really like hit me and like, I'd be discouraged. And like the next day, like I might not write any emails because like I kind of start second guessing myself and mm-hmm. is this really worth it? So anyway, Influence 51 was, it was a long time coming because between 2000, the end of 2016 or early 2017, when I started, there was a one year gap between mid 2017 and mid 2018, where I was getting my, my second master's at U Chicago. So influence would one kind of stopped during that point in time. And so like, there was a lot of starting and stopping. I wasn't really getting a lot of momentum. And like, I was again, trying to do things to pay the bills in the meantime. Right. So I was tutoring mostly. I was kind of just tutoring different people um, to, to pay my bills. But yeah, influence to one was just me kind of just cranking out these emails day after day. And then I probably got one paid gig um, with Influence 51 in the first like 
if you were to put, you know, if you were to take out that one year gap and kind of look at it as, as a, a continuous thing, I probably got one paid gig in the first like nine or 10 months. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that big of pay, you know, like it wasn't super impressive. Um, and so like, it wasn't like I was living off of Influence 51. I was trying to build Influence 51, but I was living off of other stuff. And I finally got like my first big break um, in like late 2018. There was a, a, a company who was interested in like figuring out how people make decisions within their particular um, field, architecture. Okay. And they ended up having a call with me. And I, you know, I said, how much do you know about how people make decisions in general? And I didn't mean that to be dismissive or condescending, but they were, they kind of, there was three people on the call. They were like, well, not really. And I was like, well, there's a lot of literature out there. There's a lot of data out there that I can teach you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you can see, you know, if that's going to be helpful rather than launching into something that might be too specific. And so I started doing work with this company and, and, and long story short, they, they're still a client of mine. Uh, I, I got really awesome. lucky. They, they have, uh, you know, like 50 chapters throughout the country and uh, they have a national office and they have a, a foundation arm. And um, I've been doing work with them ever since, but it was between a few, you know, very big clients that I kind of got lucky. Um, I'm not saying that to be, you know, to, to, to kind of feign humility. I got lucky. I'm sure there are plenty of people like me who crank out those emails every day and don't hear anything. Right. I heard something. And so, you know, that, that's what happened for me. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think a lot of it is, unfortunately, um, you know, can you get that break? Can you get that, you know, that break and when will that come? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it. you were, you were persistent as well. Even if like, maybe he took a day off or I know that you, you went all in for, a while sending those emails. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I, I think everyone's everyone's break will come as long as, you know, they are really fulfilling a need. And I think I think that is what's really important, too, is and you really clearly identified that, too. Like you found a need. You saw that there was a gap that all this academia, all this stuff that you knew you were really good at, you know, you you excelled in school since kindergarten and so you knew that but there was all this information that wasn't being brought to people in a way that makes it palatable and understandable and so i mean there was a clear need there and i think you know for you it was just the persistence of you know getting that break so i i do think you know i i want to give you more credit than saying it was just luck um maybe maybe luck that you found the the right client that also had a really large, you know, organization that has still here um, in 2021. Actually, this will be 2022 when this comes out. So here in 2022, um, that, you know, really liked your content. So, um, but I, you know, I think what you're saying is so important for people to hear as well. Like, it's not one email to your ideal client and then all of a sudden, you know, you're off to the races. It's hundreds, if not thousands of emails to probably your least ideal clients to dip your toe in the water. And <laughs> that's yeah, that. No, I, I think that's 100% true. And I also think that, you know, one of the things that like I had to convince myself of mm-hmm. is like, there are going to be some clients that they, they just don't like you. They just don't want you, you know? And so you, you got to kind of you know learn to just, you know, take the lump and keep, keep moving with those clients. But mm-hmm. there are other clients, especially if you're trying to do something that isn't that popular, that not that many people do, which when I started this to a degree that kind of was, you know, some people, when I would write to them, didn't really know what I was talking about. didn't really, couldn't really visualize how it would be used. And some of those clients don't say no because your, your, your product isn't valuable or your service isn't valuable. It's because they, they just don't know what exactly it is you do. And I say this because one of my clients now is a client who rejected me years ago because they, just, <laughs> they couldn't understand what it is I did and what value it was that I was going to bring, right? And so I think that that's really important for, for people to understand. That's a, one of my learning things was like, 
you can have the best product in the world or the best service in the world, but you need to know how to teach other people about what it is that you do and why it's valuable for them. And it took me a while to be able to do, and that's st- it's still a learning process for me to figure out like what clients want to hear what to really get my message across. Um, but but that that's really important because the clients who reject you, some of them could maybe benefit from you, but it's your, you know, it's kind of the onus falls on you to like teach them what, why you, yeah. you know? It's so funny that you're saying this because in so much of the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial research I'm in right now um, is really about that niching down aspect or niching down. I like me. I don't like niche. 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 Yeah. It sounds better. Um, so, you know, getting super clear on the message, but I, I've also heard it and seen it reproduced in so many ways that om- almost like the elevator pitch that seems to be, uh, proving itself over and over again, which I, you actually said, uh, maybe 10 or 15 minutes ago, it seems like you said it or you had it pretty nailed down. The I help blank do know or understand blank so that they can blank. And so it's like saying exactly the clients that you help or, you know, I help lawyers or I help companies or I help, you know, dreamers, whatever it is, do know or understand blank for you, um, you know, psychological concepts in their field, you know, in order so that they can implement those concepts into their company to thrive or whatever it is. But I've heard that that language, like that specific line be the one that seems to almost like um, fill that that void that you're saying, like if if it's not your client, you know, they might just not be a client yet because they're not understanding what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. What you do. I think, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's, that's true. And, and it's funny because like you're doing research on this, which I probably should have done, you know, for me, it was just like trial and error. So like, I just happen to get to this point where apparently all the books are pointing you towards <laughs> yeah. um, where like, I have this kind of little, little spiel now um, because you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, there's a, there's a horrible phrase someone told me one time, but it's, 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 it's apparently a phrase that's popular in writing called sometimes you have to kill your babies. It's a horrible, horrible phrase, but apparently it means like <laughs> there are going to be certain things that you write, right. That you're going to love certain yeah. sentences, certain paragraphs that you love, Got it. but might not serve a purpose, might not, you know, be as loved by the audience. And so sometimes you need to cut those things. And that was something that I needed to learn too, because like, I talked about how my website, the first iteration of my website was like, you know, a WordPress, like, you know, just a Word document, basically. The first iterations of like the emails I was sending must have been like, if you printed it out, it must have been like three pages long, right? It was like, because for me, like I cared about this stuff and I found it interesting. And so like, I was, you know, kind of like hopeful and naive again, that like other people would find it interesting too. But they might find it interesting, but they don't have they don't have the time for that. Right. right? And so I had I had to kind of learn the hard way that like as much as I think it's important to include this, as much as I want to talk about this, I really need to nail down like what it is I do in a pretty succinct way in order to get people hooked enough where I can start talking about the other stuff that I find more interesting. Yes. <laughs> that that does make a lot of sense. I I can definitely relate to that too. It's, you know, like I, I want to, you know, just bring all of these things to the table about all, you know, everything that I know in counseling psychology, but that's not necessarily serving the purpose for the people that I need, that I'm working with. Definitely finding, finding that, that gap where you'll fit in and that offers the client the value that they're looking for. Um, yeah, that's, that's, again, you're, you're nailing all these things that I'm learning as we go. And as we speak about, um, like six years, so you said what? It only took me like six years. Like I just went to the library and got it apparently. All this reading that you did, I'm surprised you didn't do any reading on, you know, building a business. However, I think it's important to also note, which I don't know if I've ever, um, actually said, but our dad was in, our mom was a huge part of it, but 
dad built a very successful taxi and limousine transportation company. Um, And, you know, that was all we knew growing up was, you know, dad had his own business and mom was part owner in the business as well and did every, you know, they were they helped each other out. They were, they were the left and the right hand in building this thing. And, you know, that's what we saw growing up. So I would say for us as well, we, you know, we kind of had that firsthand experience and sort of seeing what it looks like for someone to, um, start grow. Well, I don't really, I don't remember when it started. I wasn't, I think I was a seed, but (laughs) grow the, you know, grow a business and, you know, in an entrepreneurial sense. So, um, not, not that that's a preemptive thing for anyone, but I think it's sort of interesting and maybe why you didn't read the entrepreneurial books (laughs) because you saw it, you saw it right in front of you growing up your whole life. So I know that for me, that's one of those things, um, you know, something that helps motivate me in my journey is knowing that once I figure out exactly what it is, I'm so capable of moving into it because I've seen all these people around me who have been so capable of doing the same. So I think that's also maybe a piece of advice to bring to listeners as well. Like your capabilities are are not what you might be thinking they are right now. Like you are totally limitless in your ability to build something if you choose to do so and maybe look to some mentors or friends or family who have done so um, as that motivation or inspiration or education. Yeah. Ask for help too. Ask for help. <laughs> yeah. Don't be wrong with asking for help. Don't be like me. It's, it slowed <laughs> me down a lot, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, Bri, I, 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 just, I did want to make sure that, you know, we, we, we give, uh, you know, mom and dad their kudos mm-hmm. because that I, I have talked about it before, you know, um, I, I do think that, you know, watching, watching dad kind of operate, operate his business and build it with, with people from pretty much nothing, yeah. um, definitely played a role in, in me wanting to kind of be my own boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I think, I think it's important. Um, we definitely have, you know, and we're very, very blessed and lucky to have a, a super strong family unit with our parents. So um, just giving them the love and the praise that they deserve um, because I know that they would expect that and want that in this episode too. How could we not talk about them? Right. <laughs> we only give them love and praise when they expect it. Yeah. We don't, we don't want to just give them spontaneous love and praise. Maybe expect us in the right word. <laughs> spontaneous love and praise because they are really amazing. Um, but we are winding down. We only have about seven minutes left. I have uh, a rapid fire question round for you. Um, and then I will give you the opportunity to speak your last words, uh, famous last words. Let everyone know where they can find you. Um, and then if you have any shout outs, you can feel free to give those as well. But first let's do rapid fire. All right. In the very beginning of this podcast, I said, we're speaking on three things, which I think we covered a lot, except for one of them, which we're going to get to, um, development, decision-making and dedicating your life to purpose. Uh, the very first one question on development currently right now, are you working more on personal development or professional development? personal development right now. Awesome. Okay. Decision-making. Um, and you probably know the psychology behind this, which is uh, going to be interesting, but I just want to know your off the top of your head answer, which I think I already sure. know. Decision-making. Do you make more of your decisions based on choice or guiding voice? Guiding voice, meaning gut reaction, intuition, spirituality, et cetera, or choice, meaning definitive by the numbers. So I'm, I'm going to give a, a half psychology answer, half me answer. Let's hear it. I probably believe I make more of my decisions by choice, mm-hmm. but research shows that a lot of that is just guiding voice being rationalized as choice. Wow. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's kind of what I'll go with. Okay. That's a, I actually, uh, I wanted to know more about that question that I was asking. So I'm going to use that for the next person. <laughs> okay. The last one is about purpose. It's a two part question. First, what's your definition of purpose? Do you have one or any thoughts on what it, could be i didn't come prepared with one um, <laughs> you didn't have to or uh, or what does it mean to you like i guess 
I guess if I thought of purpose, it would be thinking of like, thinking of what I can do to simultaneously drive myself and others forward. That's awesome. That's actually so spot on with uh, my sort of um, succinct definition of purpose. I say purpose is passion plus people. Um, so it's really, you know, taking something that you're passionate about and we can have several passions. So taking one of those passions and figuring out how to bring it to the world, um, Mm -hmm. so that they can experience that with you. So I think that's, I think you're spot on. Um, so that leads to the final rapid fire question, the two parts. So is dedication to purpose a singular moment in time or a daily practice? Gotta be a daily practice, right? <laughs> I, I think it's gotta be a daily practice. Okay. Um, I can't say now. I can't say that I, you know, with with, with full confidence that I I do practice it daily. <laughs> but I think if you if you're if you're going to be successful, you need to make an effort to practice it daily. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you. Okay, th- th- that's the end of my question round. Let's uh, hand over the mic to you again one last time final last words and where we can find you and shout outs. All right. Uh, I didn't come prepared with any final last words either. Okay. However, uh, <laughs> I will say, um, you know, I, I feel like a podcast. I feel like I, I wish I had a podcast like this, you know, when I was kind of in that moment where I didn't really know what I wanted. I was, you know, nervous, yeah. you know, nervous that, you know, I, I wasn't going to be, not only what everyone else thought I, I could be or would be, but also what I what I knew I had the potential to be. Um, yeah, because you so, really came out the gates in, in high school swinging with <laughs> <laughs> with all your awards and accolades and king yeah. of this and class clown of this and top yeah. of this and you you really uh, you set the bar high for yourself. <laughs> yeah, so you know I set it high, and you know it, it wasn't like college was a letdown, but it was just like one of those things where afterwards, you know, when it was time to transition into like the real world, like I just, I just didn't know. I didn't know like how I could continue to be, you know, as great as I was in high school, you know, doing something, doing something else. And so I guess I I just, you know, my final last words, I wish, I wish I had a podcast like this back then. Um, I think it's, it's, it's really important to talk about these things openly. And like, I did want to share, you know, with, 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 with anyone who's listening this, you know, vulnerability that I don't think we talk about enough, you know, mm-hmm. because I certainly felt like that, you know, anyone who saw me just suddenly like walk out of the gym that day with like a blank stare on my face. And then like, you know, walked home and like, you know, was, was crying, was nervous. Like I didn't, yeah, I think we talk about that stuff more. And so, you know, the, the point is like, you know, I, I've been there and I'm now, you know, pretty happy with where I am right now. I can't complain. And so uh, I very much hope, Bria, that, you know, Brie, <laughs> I hope the people that, that you know, you, you are inspiring will be able to tell these stories someday, too. I appreciate that. That is uh, such a great way for you to wrap it up. And, you know, I kind of think I'm learning by doing as well. So like I said, back in the middle of this, I'm my client avatar. I'm learning this as I go. And that's why I think it's so awesome to bring people on this podcast who are either in the same position as me or have gone through the same situation because I'm using it to learn for myself. And I think that, like you said, the value is, you know, it's in these stories, it's in these understandings, it's in those moments that you share with us, those vulnerable moments. So Um, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing that. And uh, I wish we could go. I know that we could go for much longer, but um, why don't you let people know where they can find you and give your shout outs and we'll wrap it up. Oh, shit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm horrible with like social media and stuff like that, too. So I don't really have any social media handles. Just your website. Yeah. Website is influence51.com. Influence51.com. Pretty simple. Um, yeah. And, and uh, so over the next few months, you can probably find a little bit more, a little bit more of my comedy coming out too. And so we'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll be a little bit more, uh, diligent with that as well. But 
they can they can look for that if they want to find it. I'm not ready to to give anything too easy right yet. That's that's fine. Um, maybe at the time that this comes out, I can uh, send them in that direction as well. Because I mean, clearly by the introduction that you had me read or that <laughs> that I wrote, um, and yeah, you know, you. you're <laughs> you're writing for a puppet. I know that one of your r- true and natural passions is comedy as well. Which again, you know, that just speaks to how we can have so many different passions, and it doesn't necessarily. Need to be what we're putting our whole life into we can have those hobbies as well um or you know other parts of our life so i look forward to hearing that comedy as well um and okay so that is that i will post your handles and such uh shout out to your wife sumetha shout out sumetha <laughs> my lovely and supportive wife <laughs> shout out mom and dad bria shout out you great and and, and rec- i'm glad you're recording this because I'm never going to be this nice to you in the public <laughs> domain ever again. You all heard it straight from him. <laughs> all right. It's been awesome. It, uh, I will close it out here. I love you. I appreciate you. I'll talk to you love soon. You, proud of you. Thank you so much. Mwah, I'm proud of you too. Until next time, everyone, let this be the moment. Bye.